This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Humanist Report podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 67th episode of the program. Today is November 4th, and we are just days away from the general election. So we'll talk about the stories leading up to the election, but before we get started, we have several people to thank for joining the independent progressive media revolution. So first, we have to send a huge thank you to Katie and Shaw, who sent a donation in from Hawaii. Very cool. Uh, we also want to thank Brad Langren, Alexis Renteria, The Katie Halper Show, David McGee, and Alan McLemore. So all of these people decided to support the podcast either by donating to us via PayPal, through Patreon, or becoming a member on HumanistReport.com. If you too would also like to support the podcast, you can bookmark the Amazon link to do your shopping or you could simply whitelist us on Adblock, but so long as you watch and like and share the videos, you are helping us out tremendously. So coming up on today's show, I'll discuss Bill Clinton's response to the Dakota Access Pipeline along with President Obama's compromise for the construction of the pipeline. Also, I'll talk about the latest WikiLeaks scandal surrounding Hillary Clinton, a bunch of Jill Stein stories, Bernie Sanders, and Sheldon Adelson's fight against pot legalization, and what I'll be expecting when either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump wins, and what we can look forward to if Jill Stein reaches 5%. So all of these topics will be covered. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So in an interview with RT, Green Party presidential candidate Dr. Jill Stein went into full-on savage mode when she started talking about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And basically, she said everything that we're all thinking. You have a choice between either a proto-fascist in Donald Trump or a corruption queen in Hillary Clinton. Take a look. What kind of impact do you expect to have on Election Day and in what states? Well... Let me just say, you know, voters are being intimidated into voting for the candidates that are the most disliked and untrusted uh, in our history of presidential races. And it seems with every passing day, the race becomes more scandal ridden and more outrageous between uh, the queen of corruption, Hillary Clinton, and the walking scandal sexual predator, Donald Trump. And people are fighting angry. 72% of people have not heard of my campaign, uh, yet the vast majority of Americans were clamoring for open debate so they could find out what other choices they had. You know, the bottom line is this. There is not a new entitlement for the establishment politicians. They do not have an entitlement to our votes. They have to earn our votes. Uh, they have not earned our votes, and people are looking for something else. So my hope is to help inform and empower the American people to actually make choices, informed choices, about our future. That's what democracy is supposed to be about. The fact that we have to choose between a proto-fascist and, uh, and, a, and a corruption queen is, is absolutely outrageous and is really drives home why we have to break the stranglehold of this very corrupt two-party system. And I encourage people, you know, don't throw your vote away voting for a political system that's throwing you under the bus. Invest your vote in a real movement for change. If we get to 5%, it will be transformative. It will mean that there is a people's politics that can no longer be swept under the rug, that can be 
be a rallying point. Whether it's Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton in the White House, we're going to have to fight like hell to stop the next war, to stop World War III, to stop climate catastrophe, to stop the, uh, the uh, overtake of, of fascism over our country. We've got to fight on our hands, and we need a political voice for that fight starting on day one, uh, the very day after this campaign. If we get to 5%, right. we will be much stronger in conducting right. that fight. So I think that this is the best interview she's ever done because everything that she said resonated with me. I mean, she really is communicating the anger that voters feel. We are not getting our voices heard within the two parties, and it's getting more and more frustrating. And as they both grow more corporatist and the Republicans grow into a fascist party and... Democrats become the new de facto conservative party because Republicans are just off the rails crazy. Well, voters are being left behind. So here's what she said. She said, voters are being intimidated into voting for the candidates that are the most disliked and untrusted in our history. And that couldn't be more true. I hear from my viewers all the time that if they say they're going to vote for Jill Stein, they're basically being told that they're voting for Donald Trump and that they're a fascist. What kind of logic is that? They're literally voting against Donald Trump by choosing Jill Stein because they don't like fascism, hence why they're not voting for Trump, but they also don't like corruption and corporatism and war, which is why they're not voting for Hillary Clinton either. And if they say that they're voting third party, they're called stupid. No, it's called actually taking a stand and drawing a line in the sand and saying, I am not voting for either of these two shitty choices. Now, she also said, with every passing day, the race becomes more scandal-ridden and more outrageous between the queen of corruption, Hillary Clinton, and the walking scandal, sexual predator, Donald Trump. This couldn't be more true. Every single day, there's a new scandal involving either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. If it's not Hillary Clinton and her email scandal, it's Donald Trump sexually assaulting someone else. Some new victim comes forward and said that he really did grab her by the vagina. It's just unacceptable. Why can't we actually have a substantive race about the issues but instead we have two narcissists who are making this entire election about them and every single day i get more and more frustrated knowing oh what scandal is going to come out today it's so tiring now she said the fact that we have to choose between a proto-fascist and a corruption queen is absolutely outrageous i mean this communicates everything i've been thinking since they both became the party nominees i mean if you vote for hillary clinton then you are choosing corruption, you're choosing war, you're choosing to solidify the rightward shift of the Democratic Party. And she's not just taking members of the Democratic Party establishment with her, she's moving the whole base along with her because now we see Democrats, so-called lefties and liberals, standing up for her vote for the Iraq War and her vote for the Patriot Act. This is dangerous. And then if you vote against that, then you're voting for a fascist, someone who is empowering white supremacists, someone who literally is implementing World War II era policies against minority groups, choosing to ban Muslims. He's also a serial sexual predator. He's a con man who went bankrupt, who said that he would default on U.S. debt. He's just a crazy person. But if you want to defeat him, then you have to choose a corrupt candidate. It's just a lose-lose situation. 
It's lose-lose. No matter who wins, we all lose. Now, regardless of who you think is the lesser of two evils, progressives are going to have to fight like hell to prevent either one of these two narcissist candidates from destroying the country. Now, Jill Stein states, if we get to 5%, it will be transformative. It will mean that there is a people's politics that can no longer be swept under the rug that can be a rallying point. And I couldn't agree more because if Jill Stein reaches 5%, I think that this would prevent the Democrats from moving further to the right because they would see that they now have a growing threat in the Green Party and it would force them to move back to the left because if they continue to move to the right, well, then they're going to lose all of their liberal base. They're going to migrate over to the Green Party as many of us have already done. And if the Green Party reaches 5%, that shows them that regardless if they can or can't win, the Green Party will take votes away from them and cost them the elections if they don't turn around and come back to the left. Now, she said, with Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump in the White House, we're going to have to fight like hell to stop the next war, to stop World War III, to stop the climate catastrophe, to stop the overtake of fascism in the country. We got a fight on our hands and we need a political voice for that fight. And again, this is another thing that I've been saying all along. I am absolutely terrified at the fight that we're going to have on our hands. When Hillary Clinton gets elected, we're going to have to stop her from implementing more neoliberal policies. When Donald Trump gets elected, I don't even know where the hell we begin. Fascism has come to America in the form of an orange clown, and we have to stop that. We have to prevent him from implementing these horrible policies that will literally take us backwards when it comes to social progress. So I don't... I don't know what we're going to do. All I know is we're going to have to fight whoever is elected on day one. I'm going to hit the ground running and we'll continue to criticize them and hold their feet to the fire because either one of these candidates, you know, it's not about the policies. They don't really stand for anything besides their own ego. And that's really harmful. So I'm going to make sure that I do everything to speak out against whichever one of these two people are elected and just hope to God that Jill Stein gets 5%. So I'm a bit late in getting to this, but I wanted to get to the Daily Beast's sad attempt at smearing Jill Stein. So by now, we all know that the Daily Beast is a pseudo-journalism outlet where their parent company is IAC. And on the board of IAC, Interactive Corp., sits Chelsea Clinton. So time and again throughout the course of this election, they've proven that they are willing to unfairly smear any and all of Hillary Clinton's opponents at the behest of their parent company. Now, they did this during the primary. They tried to smear Bernie Sanders and all of their smear attempts were unfair. And now they're doing it again, this time to Jill Stein. So in a new smear piece, they're trying to frame Jill Stein as a hypocrite saying that Jill Stein's ideology says one thing, but her investment portfolio says another. The holier-than-thou Green Party candidate rails against big carbon, big banks, big pharma, while she holds substantial investments in them. So their main argument is that she claims she's for the environment, but she's invested her own money in big carbon. She rails against Wall Street, but she has investments in the financial services industry. Also, she rails against war all the time, but she has money invested in defense contractors and drones. And that's not all. Jill Stein also has money invested in big tobacco and big pharma. Now, when I first heard about this article before reading it, I was honestly taken aback because I thought, wow, I mean, regardless if it comes from the Daily Beast or not, if there's evidence to back up their claims that Jill Stein is in fact this big of a hypocrite, then I can't defend her here. I, I have to be objective and actually criticize Jill Stein if it is the case that she's guilty of being a big hypocrite. But 
to no one's surprise, this is just the Daily Beast being the Daily Beast as usual. All that this is about is Jill Stein's investments in mutual funds. That's it. So as Jill Stein explains, like many Americans who hold retirement accounts, pension funds, or who invest in the American economy, my finances are largely held in index funds or mutual funds over which I have no control in management or decision making. Sadly, most of these broad investments are as compromised as the American economy, massively degraded as it is by the fossil fuel, defense, and finance industries. Over the years, I have taken steps to divest from the worst of these holdings, transferring my checking and savings accounts from Bank of America largely to a credit union, and divesting from GE, DuPont, and Merck stocks I had been given decades ago. Participating in the American economy by holding investments in mutual funds, retirement accounts, and index funds is a far cry from the Clintons' backroom fundraising and quarter-million-dollar speeches for the predatory banks, health insurance industry, and fossil fuel tycoons. It's also a world apart from the predatory economics, taxpayer bailouts, and tax dodging of Donald Trump. To the contrary, these investments are what tens of millions of working Americans must do to secure crucial resources for retirement. To suggest an equivalence betrays either mind-boggling cluelessness or, more likely, the attack dog mentality of the Clinton protection press hitting on true proponents of social change in order to defend the precarious empire of the political elite. The Daily Beast is suggesting that participating in the American economy is incompatible with working to change it. This is comparable to the position taken by anti-climate change press, like at Fox News, who say that riding in a car or an airplane means you cannot criticize fossil fuels. Unfortunately, to change public policy, one must participate in the economy enough to generate the resources to create change, ideally in a way that minimizes damage and maximizes change. We need real options for ethical investing, including investments in the cooperative economy. Retirement security should be a human right, guaranteed through expanded social security, not privatized through these types of investment accounts where financial management makes unsavory decisions for us. And above all, we must build political power that is independent of multinational corporations and the political elite that serves them. This is essential if we are to restore the elusive promise of American democracy and avert the imminent threats of climate catastrophe and this war and nuclear confrontation and build the just and sustainable future that is within our reach. Yeah. And I'll put her full response in the description box, but that's basically it. Now, she also casually destroyed him in her response as well. If Mr. Ali, who's the author, is truly interested in conflicts of interest of political candidates and their families, where is his disclosure of the conflict of interest posed by Chelsea Clinton's position as a director of the corporate owner of the Daily Beast, IAC? He has created an imagined conflict of interest, perhaps to distract from the very real harmful conflicts of interest in the Clintons' pay-to-play schemes, backroom fundraising, and quarter-million-dollar speeches for the predatory banks, health insurance industry, and fossil fuel tycoons, who have directly benefited from Hillary Clinton's policy record as Senator and Secretary of State, as well as from Bill Clinton's actions as President. So basically, you can already anticipate their hypocritical response. Well, Hillary Clinton, she can take money from, uh, you know, the fossil fuel industry in Wall Street, but she's not claiming that she's holier than thou. But since Jill Stein is claiming to be holier than thou, well, she's a hypocrite if she doesn't get rid of these mutual funds. This is an absolute joke. And I'll just say this. 
We're arguing for fundamental change at the institutional level. And by this standard that he's creating, I'm in support of paying workers slave wages because I have an Apple computer. And we all know that Apple treats their workers unfairly. I'm also a hypocrite and apparently I'm not in favor of climate change legislation because I drive a car. I mean, this is an impossible standard that you're creating for Jill Stein that you're not applying to Hillary Clinton or yourself. It's just completely ridiculous. And to illustrate how ridiculous this smear attempt is on Jill Stein, you can look to people who don't typically support Jill Stein who have come to her defense. For example, David Pakman. I mean, David Pakman is one of my progressive colleagues, and he's not voting for Jill Stein. He doesn't support Jill Stein, but even he came to her defense here. Take a look. If anything, Pat, and you know I'm not a fan of Jill Stein, this improves my opinion of her, that instead of, uh, of falling prey to expensive money managers or hedge funds, she knows, or at least she's doing what indicates that she knows, that the most prudent way to invest is in these super low cost, broad funds. She's not directly investing in or supporting Exxon any more than I am by holding this fund. I think this is a totally bogus critique of Jill Stein. Right. And the truth is about 50 million Americans have investments in mutual funds and yeah. index funds. Do and they all love ExxonMobil? Oh, no, of course not. You have no say in how the money's managed. So look, in the end, this is the bottom line. You can say that people like Jill Stein or even myself are big hypocrites because we rail against slave wages, but then we support these companies by buying their products. I don't know what, you know, went into this microphone. Who made this microphone? You can also say I'm a hypocrite because I'm posting my videos on YouTube which is a platform owned by Google, who is censoring news about Hillary Clinton. So everyone is a hypocrite in some way, shape, or form, but I want the government to impose restrictions on companies so they can't do these types of things. That's why I'm speaking out. So, I mean, this attack is baseless, as any other attack has been thus far on Jill Stein, and it's just ridiculous. It shows that the Daily Beast is getting desperate in their attempt to smear Jill Stein, and this is a good sign. Why? Because it shows that the establishment sees Jill Stein as a threat. And if the Green Party is seen as a threat, then that means the Democratic Party has to react. They have to move back to the left. So this is a good sign. I, I don't see any harm in this. It just makes the Daily Beast look like shit and tells us that the Democratic establishment is afraid of the Green Party and Jill Stein. More than any other voting demographic, millennials are choosing to go green this election cycle. Why? Well, I've told you why I'm going green, but I'm going to go ahead and let the Green Party presidential candidate herself explain why millennials are choosing to go green. So in an op-ed for The Hill, she writes, Millennials are disillusioned with politics and desperate to change it. For many, WikiLeaks exposing how the Democratic Party sabotaged Bernie Sanders confirmed their suspicions that the political system is rigged. They see Clinton as the embodiment of a political establishment that serves the economic elites, and they reject Trump's sexist, racist behavior and regressive platform. On critical issues like education, debt, and jobs, millennials see the Greens as the one party taking their concerns seriously. Since the 2008 financial meltdown, millions of young Americans have been stuck in a low-wage, insecure economy in which good jobs and affordable health care and education are often out of reach. 
we are tackling their concerns with programs to guarantee jobs, education, and healthcare to all. Our flagship proposal is a Green New Deal to create millions of jobs in the transition to a sustainable economy. Skyrocketing tuition and student debt now at $1.3 trillion for 43 million indebted Americans are causing many young people to question whether they can afford higher education. This is tragic when compared to the many countries around the world that offer tuition-free higher education to give their young people a secure start in life. Millennials share a growing consciousness of the interconnectedness of social justice and human rights with economic and environmental justice. Young people support legalizing marijuana not just for personal freedom, but also to end racist mass incarceration caused by prohibition. The Black Lives Matter and immigration justice movements are warming to the Greens' consistent platform for human rights. Calls are growing to join together in a broad movement for justice, rather than organizing into single-issue groups that are easy to divide and conquer. Compared to Trump's opportunistic demagoguery or the cynical manipulation of the Clinton machine, many people prefer a real, unscripted person who isn't afraid to answer their burning questions in social media live streams. In fact, millennials who plan to vote green know that if we are ever to break free from the two-party trap, the time to start building an alternative is now. Word is spreading that at least 5% of the national popular vote would qualify the Greens for up to $10 million in public funds for the 2020 election and win ballot lines throughout the country so thousand more down-ballot Green candidates can run. Young Green voters are talking about a national push for electoral reforms like ranked-choice voting to end the downward spiral of fear-based voting. While millennials may vote Stein Baraka dreaming of a Green White House, they know every vote is an investment in building a lasting movement for people, planet, and peace over profit. So every single word of what she said there is 100% accurate. And there's more to that op-ed as well. So I would encourage everyone to click the link down in the description box and read the rest of it because, I mean, it was just phenomenal. Jill Stein really encapsulates everything I'm looking for in a candidate. She is willing to speak off the cuff. She's not scripted. She's just telling us, what she thinks. And that's what I want. Someone that's not just genuine, but that has the policy positions that will actually improve our lives and not just enrich the oligarchs that are already wealthy in the country. And I'll say this, if we do continue to support the Democrats after everything they did, then we will never get real progressive change in this country because Debbie Wasserman Schultz rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton immediately hired her. She then chose Tim Kaine as her vice presidential running mate instead of Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. So if we vote for them after the entire Democratic establishment and Hillary Clinton herself basically gave us the middle finger, then Democrats will continue to be more and more corporatist and more corrupt and more conservative. So by voting for Jill Stein and the Green Party, I'm actually taking a stand and communicating to the Dems that you don't get my vote no matter what. I am not just going to vote for you out of fear of a crazy Republican getting in. If you want my vote, you have to earn it. You're not entitled to it. That vote is precious, okay? So I am not going to give in to fear. I am going to vote for someone who I think is actually going to represent my interests. You can say that's stupid. You can say that that's irrational, but that's my decision. And I want the Democrats to know that they lost my vote in this election cycle. I was a Democratic Party loyalist. I had no reason not to be because when you look at the Republicans, they're just crazy. They are insane. They're not politically viable and I would never vote for a Republican given the current state of that party. But 
Democrats know this. They know that we see the Republicans as crazy people. So they know that we'll never be able to support a Republican, so we are effectively being held hostage. Well, I'm telling Democrats, no, I will not be held hostage. It's time that I actually take a stand and say I'm standing up for what I believe is right. I want a progressive, and if the Democrats are not going to give us one to vote for, then I'm going to look elsewhere for one. That's the bottom line, and Jill Stein understands that, and I thought that this op-ed was just phenomenal because it communicates everything that we're feeling. So in spite of being subject to violence and armed mercenaries and dog attacks, members of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, along with other water protectors, are starting to gain steam in their fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, naturally, this has basically forced President Obama to respond. Now, what he's trying to do is walk a fine line so that way he can somehow appease the protesters but still make his corporate donors happy. NPR explains, President Obama said Tuesday that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is examining possible alternative routes for the Dakota Access Pipeline. We're monitoring this closely, and I think, as a general rule, my view is that there's a way for us to accommodate sacred lands of Native Americans, Obama said in an interview with the news organization Now This. He adds, I think right now the Army Corps is examining whether there are ways to reroute this pipeline in a way. So we're going to let it play out for several more weeks and determine whether or not this can be resolved in a way that I think is properly attentive to the traditions of the first Americans. So his solution would solve one dimension of what is a multi-dimensional issue. Yes, it is the case that this pipeline would violate Native American sovereignty if it does continue on its current route, but that's not all that they're protesting about, Obama. Are you even listening? They also want to protect their water supply, hence the reason why they're calling themselves water protectors, and they are water protectors. They're saying, look, not only would this violate Native American sovereignty, but simply rerouting the pipeline wouldn't prevent another oil spill, and it would make millions of residents in North Dakota, including Native Americans, vulnerable, as their water could potentially be poisoned from another oil spill. Not to mention the planet is at stake here. So how about this, Obama? How about for once in your whole presidency, in the eight years you've been in office, you actually stand up for what's right and take the right side of an issue for once? We elected you as the progressive that you ran on, and you've become a conservative and a centrist as soon as you got in office. And that hasn't changed. So maybe just once, one time, throughout your entire presidency, stand up for what's right and get on the right side of the issue for once. I'm really sick of Democrats who consistently want to compromise with big businesses that want to ruin the planet and banks that want to crash the economy and Republicans that want to discriminate against disadvantaged groups. Just one time have some goddamn backbone and take an unequivocal stand for what is right. Stop compromising. Say no. I am not allowing this pipeline to be constructed. Say that. When are you going to give us something? The people who elected you, who got you in office, who donated to you, who canvassed for you, who phone banked for you, when are you going to give those people something, Obama? So this is not a compromise. Let's call it what it is. This is a cop-out. This is Obama trying to uh, give protesters something, but meanwhile allowing his corporate donors to run the country like they've been doing throughout the eight years that he's been in office. It's a joke. And if you want to criticize people for not supporting Hillary Clinton, Obama, maybe this is why. Because they know that she's going to do what you do, but maybe even worse. She's going to get in office and compromise. And her silence on this issue is deafening because we know that she's probably in favor of this pipeline being constructed. 
And we know that you are too, because that's where the money is. You have unequivocally taken a stand on the side of your donors throughout your presidency. So I'm not surprised that you're not changing that now. Last week, one of my viewers named Jeremy R. asked Chelsea Clinton why her mom has remained silent on the Dakota Access Pipeline and whether or not she would reject construction of the pipeline if she were president. And as you all know, Chelsea Clinton completely dodged the question. I'm not making light of it. I just I have no idea what it's been, if it's been days or weeks or, or months. Um, I, I don't even know it's October 26th because there's nothing. Day. Well, this week, Jeremy R. attended a rally with Bill Clinton and he asked him the same question. Take a look. Does Hillary support the Dakota Access well, Pipeline? Does she things. stand with the First water all, protectors? Here we go. To all of you who supported Hillary through the primary and in general. Peaceful and protesters are being arrested and assaulted. In this fellow's had a bad week, you know, and he died. No, I'm wondering why Hillary is not standing with them. Why is Hillary? Why is Hillary not standing with them? Hillary! Why is Hillary not standing with them? Hillary! This pipeline is desecrating sacred lands. You might be interested to know that today. In Iowa, a woman was arrested for voting twice in this election. For I asked about the pipeline. Shh, Why are you we not opposing him? Come on. I had to. The election's rigged. <laughs> now, you have some experience with this in Ohio. She became the third. You're avoiding the question just like when I asked Chelsea Clinton the other day. To be accused of fraudulent voter ID out of over 200 million votes cast. As your Republican governor said, this charge is bull, just like so many of the others. But it shows you what the difference is. And Does Hillary oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline? Why are you not answering? Who we are as Americans. For example, does it bother you that peaceful protesters are being arrested? They're being attacked by militarized police. Now, because Jeremy dared to ask the question as to why Hillary Clinton has remained silent on a major progressive issue, he was asked to leave by multiple people that were yelling at him. And then when he actually did stand up to leave, the crowd was cheering, they went crazy, and then a police officer came and escorted him out of the building and then told him to leave the property. So this is what happens when you challenge authority. You are typically berated by supporters of this political figure, as was the case with Jeremy both times, uh, when he asked Chelsea Clinton for clarification on Hillary Clinton's position on the Dakota Access Pipeline, or actually not even clarification, he just asked, is your mom against the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline? Which side is she on? Is she on the side of the oil company or the water protectors? And, uh, you know, he didn't get an answer. And when he tried to push her to really answer the question substantively, Hillary supporters in the room barked at him. And same here. You saw the way that they reacted. Now, look, we all know. Let's be realistic here. Hillary Clinton is walking a fine line. Hence why she doesn't want to speak out about the Dakota Access Pipeline. Because, one, she really wants to appease her donors within the fossil fuel industry. But at the same time, she knows that she's going to need progressives to show up to vote on Tuesday if she really does want to win. So, either way, if she takes 
takes a stand, she's going to upset someone. So she's hoping that this issue will be sorted out before she is elected, if that is the case, if she does in fact win. Uh, and it's just pathetic because you shouldn't have to look at polls or see where the country is going. You shouldn't have to walk a fine line. You should just take a position for once. Show us that you really are the true progressive like you claim you are and stand up for the rights of Native Americans. Stand up for the water protectors who are now being physically assaulted by police officers, who are now being intimidated by armed mercenaries with dogs that are attacking them. It's unacceptable. Everyone has the right in this country to peacefully protest under the First Amendment, and Hillary Clinton has chosen to remain silent. So effectively, by doing that, you are inadvertently taking the side of the oil company because you're not choosing to speak out on behalf of the protesters. So what we all have to do is pressure Hillary Clinton to actually take a stand on the Dakota Access Pipeline. So I would say tweet to her using the hashtag stand against the Dakota Access Pipeline and see if we can get a response. Because if we can't get Bill Clinton or Chelsea Clinton, the people who are closest to her, to give us a straight answer, then we're going to try to hear it from the horse's mouth. So let's go ahead and tweet to Hillary Clinton and get her to actually take a strong stance against the Dakota Access Pipeline. When FBI Director James Comey announced back in July that he would not be recommending to the Justice Department that they indict Hillary Clinton, he proved that we really do live in a two-tiered justice system where the rich are allowed to commit crimes and get away with it, while the poor who commit crimes are actually prosecuted. Now, this isn't us just speculating. This is what James Comey literally stated. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. To the contrary, those individuals are often subject to security or administrative sanctions, but that's not what we're deciding now. Now, with the release of John Podesta's emails by WikiLeaks, more and more, we are proven to be right. So according to Politico, in May of 2015, Assistant Attorney General Peter Kadzik emailed Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta to tell him about potential developments at an impending congressional hearing, as well as about a new development in a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit for the emails Clinton turned over to the State Department from her private account. In an email from Kadzik's personal account titled Heads Up, he wrote, there was a House Judiciary Committee oversight hearing today where the head of our civil division will testify, likely to get questions on State Department emails. Another filing in the FOIA case went in last night or will go in this AM that indicates it will be a while, 2016, before the State Department posts the emails. Podesta forwarded the email to a cadre of top Clinton aides, adding additional chances for mischief. Clinton's campaign has declined to comment on the veracity of the WikiLeaks emails, accusing the site of working to aid Russia and Donald Trump's presidential campaign. No surprise there, because when you can't actually address the substance of what's in the emails, you pivot to Russia. Now, this illustrates two things. One, that we do in fact live in a two-tier justice system. And second, it illustrates that Hillary Clinton really is the ultimate government insider because people at the Department of Justice are supposed to hold her and other corrupt government officials, Democrat or Republican, accountable. Not collude with them, but by giving them a quote heads up, 
you're tipping them off so that way they can prepare and therefore she's not getting a fair shake like other Americans would. When Brian Nishimura, who did not intend to send or receive classified information but was prosecuted for doing so anyway, was found guilty, do you think anyone at the Department of Justice tipped him off? Do you think he was given a heads up? No, so this just confirms that rich people and oligarchs and the elites get special treatment from the government and government agencies, and it's not right. It's immoral. If you live in a democracy, the elites are supposed to be held to the same standard, but we know that in America, that's not the case. So to those of us like myself who thought that it would be likely that Hillary Clinton would be indicted and that the FBI would recommend an indictment to the Department of Justice... You can't call us crazy for thinking that because we still had a shred of faith in the system. But now it's very, very clear that if you're an elite, if you're a Republican or Democrat, so long as you're rich, so long as you're part of the political establishment, you may see this partisan bickering from time to time, but they're going to look out for you. If you're one of them, Republican or Democrat, if you're rich... You're on the side of the establishment, you're going to get away scot-free with whatever you want. So it's just sad because it shows that if we really do get someone that's overtly corrupt, that's brazenly corrupt, that does what they want, that turns our democracy into a laughingstock across the world, then they're not going to be held accountable. So when you have that, you don't have a democracy. You have oligarchy. So I've been doing this podcast for about a year and a half, and I have broken down many defenses of Hillary Clinton's use of her private email server. Most of them just claim, well, you know, Colin Powell did it and other Secretary of States did it, so Hillary Clinton should be able to do it too. Or they just, you know, they boil down to hacky partisan defenses. But in one op-ed published in Time magazine, it was a defense that was so bad that it's literally indistinguishable from satire. I'm not joking. So it reads, I am mad. I am mad because I am scared. Oh boy. And if you are a woman, you should be too. Email gate is a bitch hunt, but the target is not Hillary Clinton. It's us. And by us, she means women. The only reason the whole email flap has legs is because the candidate is female. Can you imagine this happening to a man? Clinton is guilty of speaking while female, and email gate is just a reminder to us all that she has no business doing what she's doing and must be punished for the sake of all decent women everywhere. There is so much of that going around. Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, Chris Christie, Newt Gingrich, Rush Limbaugh, and their many conservative friends are not remotely Clinton's moral superiors. They are simply bullies, using gender discrimination to give a veneer of plausibility to their accusations. FBI Chief James Comey has shown himself to be another bully of the same kind. He has repeatedly talked down to Clinton, admonishing her as a bad parent would a five-year-old. He has accused her of, quote, poor judgment and called her use of a private email server extremely careless. If Comey's a Boy Scout, here's one old lady who will never let him help her across the street. If the candidate were male, there would be no scolding and no scandal. Those very ideas would be absurd. Men have a nearly absolute right to freedom of speech. In theory, so do women. But that, as creationists like to say, is only a theory. It's not about emails. It's about public communication by a woman in general. Wow. So I don't even know where to begin. So because there's a scandal surrounding Hillary Clinton's email, it's not because she 
set up a private email server to avoid FOIA requests because she didn't want the public knowing about her corruption with the State Department and Clinton Foundation. It's because she's a woman. That's why we're angry at the fact that she set up a private email server. This has to be one of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense of Hillary Clinton I've ever seen. You do realize that in making this argument, you're literally making the case against feminism, right? That's wanting Hillary Clinton to get a free pass for breaking the law because she's a woman. That's not what feminism is supposed to be about. Feminism is about equality, not giving Hillary Clinton a pass because she's a woman. It's just ridiculous. So, I mean, your argument is more harmful to women in the long run. Furthermore, it discredits actual cases of sexism. And I think that the most ridiculous line in there was when you criticized James Comey for, quote, admonishing Hillary Clinton and talking down to her for breaking the law. He's the FBI director. His job was to investigate whether or not Hillary Clinton sent or received classified information, which is illegal, and yes, he found out that she was, but he decided to give her a free pass, but yet you still weren't happy enough. Was he supposed to praise her for breaking the law? I mean, you should be happy that he did not recommend that the Department of Justice indict her because he literally created a new standard for Hillary Clinton by not recommending that she's indicted. And he even admitted to this by saying, typically when people do what Hillary Clinton did, they are subject to administrative sanctions, but that's not what we're choosing to do today. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. To the contrary, those individuals are often subject to security or administrative sanctions, but that's not what we're deciding now. What was he supposed to do when she broke the law? I, like, I just, I, I don't understand what your end game is. Are we supposed to give Hillary Clinton a free pass for any and everything? Just because she's a woman? Look, these are the facts. She literally sent and received top secret classified documents from her private email server, which she did not have authorization to use. Furthermore, peasants like Bryony Shamira were actually prosecuted for doing less than what she did. So you should be relieved that he only admonished her and be thankful that she wasn't indicted. Otherwise, she wouldn't even be the Democratic nominee. It would be Bernie Sanders. And then you said, uh, if the candidate were male, there'd be no scandal. So let me address this. I can kind of sympathize with what you're saying with that argument specifically, because when it does come to emails, yes, it is true that George W. Bush also, quote, lost emails that were set up on his private server. But here's what I say to that. I don't care if you're a man or woman. That's also still a scandal. Indict and potentially prosecute him as well. And look, let's be honest. Female politicians, yes, are still treated unfairly. Hillary Clinton is often critiqued, for example, for yelling when she speaks, which I think is unfair because I would rather focus on the substance of what she's saying rather than how she's saying it. But here's what you're missing. It's not so much about male-female as it is about rich and poor. Hillary Clinton is a rich elite, so that's why she was allowed to get away with sending and receiving classified information while someone like Brian Nishimura, who was not an elite, was prosecuted for it, which is why Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning will potentially be subject to prosecution if they do choose to come back to the United States. And let me remind you that Hillary Clinton wants to prosecute these individuals. So you're right, there is a double standard. We allow the rich elites to do whatever they want, while the poor are punished when they break the law. Now, in anticipating your response, you'll probably contend that because I'm a man who's criticizing your argument, uh, I'm criticizing the way you speak and your method of communication, therefore I'm sexist as well. Well, I'll just 
just preemptively respond by saying, actually, two can play that game. I'm gay, so if you criticize my criticism of your defense of Hillary Clinton, then you're homophobic. Why do you hate gay people? Because historically, gay people have been repressed around the world and around the globe. So if you criticize me, then you're homophobic. You hate gay people. You're a gay basher. Sounds kind of ridiculous, right? It's because that argument is ridiculous, and it illustrates how ridiculous your argument is as well. Here's the thing. Hillary Clinton is corrupt. She did favors for the Clinton Foundation donors while she was Secretary of State. Her campaign colluded with the FBI and Department of Justice when they were supposed to be investigating her. She's proven that she can be bought off. She changed her position on single-payer health care when she took money from the health insurance industry, and she voted for the Iraq War, which led to deaths of innocent civilians. She voted for the Patriot Act, which led to the erosion of our Fourth Amendment, And she cheated during the primary and immediately hired the person that rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. These are just some of the reasons why people don't like Hillary Clinton, but I can assure you of this. If Hillary Clinton were a man, I'd be just as outraged. But you see, I'm actually objective. I could put identity politics aside and actually judge a candidate for the substance of what they are and who they represent, not based on their gender or their skin color or their sexual orientation. Charles Koch, who accounts for 50% of the evil Koch empire, who is buying off our politicians and buying off democracy just so they'll allow him to continue to kill the planet, decided to try to be cute on Twitter and posted a picture of him in his shitty Halloween costume. This is what he dressed as. I take it he doesn't understand the concept of irony, because Charles Koch is really a real-world Darth Vader. He may not have magical powers like the Force to guide him, but he certainly does have one Force that's pretty powerful. It's called money, and he constantly buys politicians in order for them to continue giving his companies subsidies so that way he can continue to destroy the planet and make sure that it's not habitable for future generations. So he really is a real-world Darth Vader, and he's kind of slapping us all in the faces by owning it and is dressing up as him. Now, the question is, Mike, why the hell are you being so petty by talking about this idiot's Halloween costume? And there's a reason for that. I just wanted to do a quick story to show you what Bernie Sanders' response was to this. Bernie posted a tweet... Uh, saying our great nation can no longer be hijacked by right-wing billionaires like the Koch brothers and posted a picture of him with a lightsaber. (laughs) I really feel like my response to this was just an overreaction because I found it way too funny than it actually probably is in real life, but it just shows one of the many reasons why I love Bernie Sanders. And even if he has disappointed me several times throughout the course of this election cycle... I think that his sense of humor and the truth that's within his sense of humor, it's it's what we needed as a country. It's what we needed to heal. So I'll end with this. Bernie Sanders won. Cook Brothers, zero. So Sheldon Adelson is a billionaire Donald Trump supporter, and he's also a huge anti-Palestinian asshole. But besides these two main negatives that he has against him, he also is spending millions of dollars trying to buy our politicians and trying to influence ballot initiatives across the country. Now, recently, he's trying to fight against the expansion of civil liberties in America, by trying to stop the legalization of recreational marijuana. The Intercept explains the casino magnate has donated 
two million to protect Nevada's children pack, one million to safe and healthy Massachusetts, and five hundred thousand to Arizonans for responsible drug policy to oppose ballot measures that would legalize recreational use in those states, and one point five million to the drug free Florida committee, which opposes a measure to legalize medical use there. Pro-marijuana folks have awoken a sleeping giant in Sheldon and Miriam Adelson. Andy Abood, vice president of Adelson's casino company, told the Associated Press in 2014. Okay, so because you and your wife don't like pot and presumably you don't smoke it, you want other people to not be able to have the freedom to smoke it as well. So because I don't like it, ban it. Okay? Maybe, this is just an idea, maybe you should get a life. Maybe you should retire. You're like 150 years old. Take a break, okay? If you don't like pot, cool. Don't smoke it. But don't try to prevent other people from doing that. Now, the good thing is that it's weird because Sheldon Allison is actually funding medical marijuana research to determine whether or not there's medical benefits. And many of the studies that he himself funded has actually showed that, yes, there are, in fact, medical benefits to marijuana, yet... Despite the findings from research he sponsored, Sheldon Adelson spent $5.5 million opposing a medical marijuana measure in Florida in 2014. The very research that you funded said, yes, there are medical benefits to marijuana, yet you spent money against it. So this is probably what happened. He, he probably funded these studies, hoping that they would think, well, it's coming from me. They know I'm anti-marijuana. Maybe they'll find what I want them to find, but... Thankfully, they were objective and they found out, yeah, obviously, there's lots of medical benefits to cannabis. So he didn't like it and said, well, mm, fuck it. I still want to ban it. This guy is ridiculous. And it's just so weird that he is so vehemently against pot legalization because he's a casino owner. So there's really no reason for him to oppose it. Ben Pollard, campaign manager for Florida Medical Marijuana Group United for Care, told The Intercept he can't understand Adelson's intentions. Certainly, the folks who have an incentive to oppose this kind of stuff are people with an interest in the rehab industrial complex because marijuana prohibition feeds a lot of clientele into those businesses. Pollard added, referring to people who are court-ordered to attend rehabilitation programs. The pharmaceutical industry has also been opposed to marijuana legalization as well, and also so the alcohol industry is also spending against legalization. So he has no monetary interest. He has nothing to gain from this other than his own ego winning and potentially shutting down what people want to do. So rather than just taking a break, retiring, watching, you know, uh, Jeopardy, he's choosing to be an asshole and fight against what people want, to fight against progress. And clearly we are headed in the direction of full legalization in all 50 states. But this billionaire, like other billionaires, Koch brothers, and it's not just Republicans, but it's it's Democratic billionaires too. They're all fighting against progress. Uh, and he has nothing to gain from it. He just wants to uh, flex nuts and show that he can do something in the country because he's bored. That doesn't make you a brilliant businessman because you have no vested interest here. It just makes you an asshole, Sheldon. So by the time you see this video, we will have a very big election taking place tomorrow. And finally, this dreadful election cycle will be over. Now, I'll tell you my reaction and what to expect if Hillary Clinton wins. And I'll be doing this for all of the candidates. So if Hillary Clinton wins, the first thing that I'll do is just sit back and take a sigh of relief 
knowing that we defeated Donald Trump and we don't have to worry about fascism coming to America. But I'll be disappointed knowing that it'll be a minimum of eight years before we even get to see whether or not there's going to be a true progressive that decides to run for president. So her election will also solidify the rightward shift of the Democratic Party. And as Democrats move further to the right, Republicans will too, which will make a Donald Trump 2.0 and 3.0 more likely. So Hillary Clinton won't just move the party establishment to the right. The entire base will go with her, as we've seen since so-called liberals have come to her defense over her vote for the Iraq War, for example, or her vote for the Patriot Act. Now, I'll rest easy knowing that she won't appoint an extremist to the Supreme Court, no matter how conservative her choices will inevitably be, and I can relax knowing that as a gay person, I probably won't have my rights taken away. However, I'm completely terrified at the prospect of more wars under Hillary Clinton. Her Syrian no-fly zone will kill civilians and potentially catalyze a new Cold War. Her pro-Wall Street policies and pro-neoliberal economic policies will only exacerbate income inequality. And then Republicans will then point to the last 12 to 16 years and say it was Democratic administrations that were responsible for this and the most likely win if they just put forth a mildly competent candidate, making it even longer before we'll see a true progressive in the White House like Tulsi Gabbard or Nina Turner. And not to mention, we'll probably see even more scandals. So here's what I'm going to do if Hillary Clinton wins tomorrow. I'm going to call her out. If she tries to compromise with Republicans if she tries to equivocate and move further to the right and start wars, I'm going to be there to call her out. I'm going to make sure that she is the liberal that she says she is. Now, I know she's not, but I'm going to make sure that she represents the interests of the American people and not her donors. So that's what you can expect if Hillary Clinton is elected. More of the same, more of the status quo, uh, and it's going to be a long time before we see whether or not we get a true progressive. And if we do have Tulsi Galbert run, then maybe it's the case that the Democratic establishment will try to destroy her too. So, you know, I'm going to be really disappointed knowing that Hillary Clinton won, but at the same time, I'll be relieved knowing that Donald Trump is defeated. So if it's the case that Donald Trump wins tomorrow, I'll be glad to know that Hillary Clinton wasn't rewarded after rigging the primary against Bernie Sanders, but in spite of this short-lived satisfaction, I'll be utterly terrified at the direction that he's going to be taking the country in. So he might back out of the TPP and install term limits on members of Congress, but I'll expect him to take immediate action that will be incredibly harmful to the entire country and the world. So as he stated, I expect him to rip up the Paris Climate Agreement on day one, which will exacerbate the threat of climate change. He'll also tear up the Iran nuclear deal on day one as well, making war with them a greater likelihood. He'll also fight to repeal Obamacare, which will lead to millions of Americans losing their health insurance, myself included. He'll immediately attempt to fill the open seat on the Supreme Court with an extremist like Scalia, and his Supreme Court justices will influence the court's decisions for the next three to four decades. Civil rights will be under attack. Gay people could lose the right to marry. This will affect me. And women could lose their right to a safe and legal abortion. This will affect 50% of the population. White nationalists will feel empowered if he wins. And racism will likely augment, leading to nationwide turmoil. Not to mention, his fascist anti-Muslim policies will create more extremism. Now, the U.S. might even default on our national debt. As he's indicated, he might let happen. 
and he'll also implement a Syrian no-fly zone like him and his VP have been planning to do. And that will lead to the deaths of Syrian civilians, not to mention the innocent civilians he said he plans on killing, the family members of ISIS. So if Donald Trump wins, this will be a very dark time in U.S. history, and this is something that is scary. The thought of it is really scary. I've literally had nightmares about Donald Trump being elected. He's a very terrifying politician uh, and a very terrifying person in general, and I don't think that I want the country to go backwards with Donald Trump. So uh, if Donald Trump wins, we're going to have to fight our asses off like you would never imagine to make sure that he doesn't destroy the country. Uh, and I don't even know where to begin if he wins. Where do we start? He has so many harmful policies that would help destroy the country that this is going to be a, a huge battle. It's going to be horrible. So if Donald Trump wins, then it's a sad day for America. So if it's the case that Jill Stein reaches 5% tomorrow, I will be hopeful again. I'll be hopeful that the progressive movement can live on regardless of who's elected. I'll know that the Democratic Party establishment is going to have to pull the emergency brake and immediately stop their shift to the right because the Green Party will now be viewed as a huge threat to the party establishment. This will mean that the Green Party will now qualify for federal matching funds and this will allow them to run even more Green Party candidates at the local and state levels, which will have a tremendous impact on the country as a whole and improve their chances of success. And progressive issues championed by the Green Party will be legitimized and it will send a huge message to the two-party duopoly that the American people, primarily young people, are fed up with their corporatism and warmongering, and that their time will be limited if they continue to govern how they've been doing it thus far. So this would be a victory if it's the case, no matter who's elected, if we can get Jill Stein to 5%, I will be incredibly excited about that. Either way, we're going to have to fight our asses off regardless of who's elected. Uh, we'll have a much harder fight if Donald Trump is elected, obviously, but I'll be a little bit more hopeful knowing that Jill Stein made it to 5% and that when we do get a progressive, they're going to have to be as liberal as the Green Party if they expect to get elected because you have this big threat that millennials, a gigantic voting base, is latching onto, and you can't just ignore that. So I'll be ecstatic, honestly, if Jill Stein reaches 5% tomorrow. So the ongoing phenomenon of hill bullying continues. So many of my viewers have sent in voice messages telling me that they've been effectively shamed or bullied for not supporting Hillary Clinton and for supporting Jill Stein. So the first voicemail is from someone named Glenn Brown who told me that he was basically called an idiot for wanting to support Jill Stein. Let's listen. Yes, my name is Glenn Brown. I'm calling to let you know I had called a talk show earlier today and tried to explain why it is I was not voting for Hillary Clinton here in Florida because of what happened to Bernie Sanders in the primaries. And I was basically told I called a fucking idiot. I just want to let you know this to show that the crap a lot of us are taking who do not support Hillary on the left. Thank you. Well, first and foremost, thank you for the message, Glenn. Look, I'm sorry that you were treated that way. Nobody should be talked down to for making a very difficult decision and voting for someone. The fact that you're voting in general, I think, is a good thing. And Democrats always talk about how turnout's low and this hurts them and helps Republicans, and that's true. But 
you're not going to help increase turnout if you shame people for getting out to vote to begin with. Even if it's the case that people like you, Glenn, are voting for Jill Stein, I mean, you still can help Democrats by voting for them at the local level if you see Democrats like Zephyr Teachout, for example. I know she's not in your state, but by supporting her. So they should never shame anyone for voting against the candidate of their choice, regardless of what state you're in. You're making a principled choice. You're making a decision that I think a lot of people have thought long and hard about if they are in swing states. And that's your decision. Don't let anybody shame you into doing otherwise. If someone wants to vote for Hillary Clinton to defeat Donald Trump in a swing state, I totally get that. I totally get that. I can rationalize that. But again, I mean, Hillary Clinton rigged the primary. So if they want to vote against Hillary Clinton and support Jill Stein in a swing state, who am I to tell them in a deep blue state where my vote isn't really going to matter that they shouldn't do that? I think that you should really come to the decision on your own accord. Think about whether you care more about defeating Donald Trump or voting against Hillary Clinton and helping Jill Stein reach 5%. That's really what you're choosing between now. 5% for the Greens or defeating Donald Trump. Uh, and whatever is your decision is your decision. So you shouldn't have been called a name uh, like that. It's it's just not fair. Now, my second message here is from Alfonso, who says he was shamed for being a Jill Stein supporter. Hi, Mike. Uh, my name is Alfonso. Uh, I'm 14 and I live in Michigan. And I hate both of the candidates for president right now. I hate Hillary and I hate Trump because they are both terrible politicians with terrible policies. And if I were be able, uh, if I would be able to vote, then I would only vote for Jill Stein and neither Hillary or Trump. But a lot of people that I know support Hillary because they don't want Trump to win. They're progressives. They were supporters of Bernie during the primaries, but they're voting for Hillary because they want to stop Trump from winning. And they shame me for for supporting Jill because they think that, oh, if you'd be able to vote, you'd be casting a wasted vote and you wouldn't be able to, you, you would be bringing Trump closer to the White House. So I, I, and I can never like bring arguments to combat that. So I was wondering if you would be able to help me and maybe other people who wanted to defend themselves. Thanks for the message, Alfonso. So here's what I would tell them. I would say, uh, if you truly are progressive and you care about progressive policies, you cannot support the Democratic Party no matter what. You cannot support the Democratic Party every single election because if you do, you are giving them permission to rig future elections against progressives. So if you support Hillary Clinton now after they rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders, a true progressive, then in the future, eight, maybe 12 years down the line, if Tulsi Gabbard or Nina Turner decide to run, they're going to think, well, they supported the Democratic nominee no matter what back in 2016, so we can rig it against the progressive, Tulsi Gabbard, for example, again, and they're still going to fall in line. So by actually being principled and taking a stand and supporting Jill Stein, if you could, if you could vote for her, then you're drawing a line in the sand and telling Democrats if they want your vote, they have to earn it. They can't be shady. They can't rig the elections. They actually have to put forward progressive candidates and not establishment insiders like Hillary Clinton. So that's what I would say. That's just me. There are many arguments that would resonate with uh, different types of people. It's really difficult to gauge, but in the end, what matters is that 
uh, you're supporting the candidate that is speaking to you, that you want to support. Don't support anyone like Donald Trump who would actually harm the country. I mean, by supporting Jill Stein, you're saying this is the type of policies that I want. You're telling the, the Democrats that if they don't be like the Green Party, then the Green Party is going to get your votes, not Democrats. So that's what I would say. But again, look, here's the takeaway. Uh, if you want to support Jill Stein, you have a right to do that. This is a free country. And by discouraging people from supporting the candidate that they like and by voting their conscience, they're discouraging turnout. In the end, that will hurt Democrats and help Republicans. So they should not discourage people from voting for the candidate that inspires them. This is going to backfire on them and they don't realize it. So the Hill bullying has got to stop. Well, that's all the segments that I have time for. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you made it this far in the video, thank you for watching. Thanks to all the members who support the show, uh, the Patreon patrons and the one-time donors who send in donations through PayPal. You guys are phenomenal. You keep the show going. So I will be back with a post-election recap episode, and I'm sure that I'll create more vlogs just giving you guys my opinion on the outcome of the election so you know uh, we're gonna move into hopefully a more stable time since the election is over hopefully the volatility will die down and this is really the last episode before the election that i'm filming and i've done nothing but film episodes about the election since i started this podcast so i'm excited to move into a new era in the humanist report where we can actually really focus on the progressive issues i feel like like i felt compelled to cover the election and many people were just so interested interested in it myself included and it's really draining so let's all take a break from the election let's relax let's maybe have a few drinks let's eat some snacks that we like let's all just forget about the election for a couple of days uh, after it's over and just get back to life and try to, you know, strive for some normality after this crazy election cycle. So I will see you guys next week. Take care.